Good morning. I don't really know how, how to begin to tell you the things that I want to tell you today. My name's Elizabeth, and this is my baby, John. Yes, you might say, my goodness, she looks old enough to be a grandmother. What's she doing holding a baby? It can't possibly be her baby. But it is my baby. To be honest, I am well, well beyond childbearing years. And so, well, there's a long story to tell here. And I'd love to give you just a glimpse of it this morning. This past year has been such a difficult year, but so glorious. Let me back up a little bit. So for many, many years, my job has been to hold other people's babies. I was the, the barren one, the one without a child, the one who was mocked by all my neighbors. And so often I've had someone busybody come up to me and say, so how is it that you and Zechariah managed to offend God so that he didn't give you a child? Oh, my goodness, I've lived with those voices for decades and decades. But then, I mean, it's just extraordinary. There was, there was about a, a year ago now, Zechariah, who, of course, you know, is a priest, he was up doing his priestly duties, and then he came home after doing them, and he came, he came kind of running and stumbling into the house, and he was gesticulating wildly. Couldn't get a word out of him, literally. He was struck dumb. He could not speak. So he spent the next days kind of signing to me and drawing things and writing odd messages on a tablet. And it was so confusing. Clearly, something quite remarkably strange had happened to him when he was in Jerusalem. But lo and behold, whatever happened to him in Jerusalem, shortly after that, I was pregnant. Pregnant at my age. My goodness me. There's a reason why people my age don't get pregnant. Honestly, my body was not equipped for being pregnant. It was rough, let me tell you. So I actually spent many months just at home because everything creaked and ached and hurt. And then one day, I mean, as if one person staggering in the door looking dramatic wasn't enough, my young cousin Mary came by. And I knew that she was betrothed to Joseph, who was a good man. But Mary came, and I could see her approaching, actually. I, I, was, I was pregnant, but I saw her approaching. And she came up towards the house, and she came in. And I greeted her. It was the strangest thing. I mean, obviously, I was quite pregnant at that point. And John was just going in my womb. It was like he was turning cartwheels. There was something so strange happening. And then Mary began to tell me her story. And it wasn't, to be honest, immediately the best news. It had been enough for the gossips that I, at my age, had got pregnant. But now my cousin was pregnant and she was unmarried. And that seemed to me, on the face of it, to be a bit of a problem. But there was something quite extraordinary about Mary's story. She began to tell me, and honestly, it was like my whole body was just filled with this light and love 
and joy and hope. And she began to tell me about an angel appearing to her. And I'd already begun to get a pretty good idea that an angel had appeared to Zechariah as well. Don't get me wrong, I like angels, but two in just a few months? I mean, it was a little odd, if you ask me. There hadn't been an angel in this part as far as I was aware of, I don't know, for centuries. So two to turn up in our family in such short space of time seemed just a little strange. Anyway, as Mary told me her story, I found myself singing a song, and I won't sing it now. I'm an old woman, and my voice is a little croaky, but the general gist of it was this. I wrote it down. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken her from the Lord. I wanted to weep and shout and cry all at once. There was something quite remarkable about these two babies in our wombs. She stayed a while and then went home. And then, of course, the time came for me to give birth to John. The neighbors came around on the day of circumcision and you know, they're a bossy lot around here, and they came in and they said, well, he's obviously going to be called Zechariah after his father. At that point, John, who's quite a passive man, leapt to his feet and grabbed the, the stylus thing and, and, and just wrote out, no, his name is John. And at that moment, he could speak. He could speak again. After nine months of silence, which had its advantages, he was speaking again. And then he began to tell us the story. He told us the story of the angel who had appeared to him and the angel who had said to him, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He then told Zechariah how this baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. And then the angel said these words, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What does that mean? What does it mean? And then Zechariah held John, and, and he began to prophesy, and he said that John would be called a prophet of the Most High and that he would go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What on earth does any of this mean? To be a prophet, to prepare the way, to make paths straight, what can it possibly mean for this sweet child? So much mystery. Little boy, who are you? What is it going to mean that you are going to prepare the way, that you're going to preach for righteousness, that you're going to get people to confess their sins? What does it mean? I've read the stories of the prophets. I've heard them all my life. Being a prophet... Yeah, it's not easy. It's not really what I want for my boy. 
I want him to go up, grow up and find a nice woman and settle down and have a home and family and, and peace and security. To be a prophet? When I think of this boy, I just want to hold him as tight as I can to myself and tell the world to stay away. All I want for my boy is safety, but then I also want him to obey the call on his life, to step into all that God is calling him to. But I wish, I wish I could keep him safe. In John's Gospel, it says, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. It also says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease.
Matthew wrote this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people, because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist, here, on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. boy grows up and becomes a man. Elizabeth and Zechariah probably die fairly early on in his life. He was probably orphaned and he went out and was brought up in, we think, by the Essenes in the desert. He did learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and obey his call. He did step into his calling as a prophet of the Most High. He did lay forth the way of making a way for Jesus to come. He did call people to repentance. He did risk his life with his bold preaching. And then, in fact, he lost it in a moment of amazing selfishness of a young girl. John's life began with many promises of joy and gladness. That's what the prophecies spoke of. So where was the joy for this little orphan boy brought up in the desert? I think the joy for John came in his obedience to the call on his life, his obedience to proclaim Jesus, with, to prepare a way for him. And perhaps, like many men, he did long for a home and stability and just for normalcy in his day-to-day -day life, but the call was strong. He was obedient. He was faithful to the message that had been spoken over him even before he was born. And really, in many ways, his legacy is at the heart of Advent. His story of foretelling, his obedience to being a one who announces, who tells forth, who prepares the way. And it's because of his obedience to step into that that each of us can know a deeper joy because we come to a deeper truth. Like Elizabeth, there are so many ways that we would love to protect those we, we, we love. We want to keep people away from problems and strife, but John's life will forever be associated with Advent. 
the time when we wait with expectancy for this other baby. And the joy of Advent must always be balanced by pain. And for us in this community, I know it's true for every single one of us that we are experiencing both joy and pain this year. Whether through our loss of our beloved Eric or the countless other losses that so many of you have experienced. Family members dying or struggling with cancer and other illnesses. COVID-related hardships. Personal grief. Even touch deprivation. But this is the Christian life, to not shy away from pain and trauma, but to step into it with confidence that there is one abiding truth dominant in our lives. And so joy is deliberate. Joy is not laughter or feeling happy or telling a joke. Joy is a confidence in Christ's promises and obedience to the call on our lives. John the Baptist knew that his life was important. He probably didn't really recognize how important. I doubt he could foresee 2,000 years later us telling his story and recognizing that the choices he made were such solidly good ones. But it's important to keep in terms and in focus his message, which is look for Christ, pay attention, be repentant, because Christ is here. And so I invite you today into the joy of Advent, that deep, deeper joy of expectancy, confidence that Christ will come and that he will come again. As we approach the birth of Christ, we come with many thoughts, some with pain and some with joy. And so in a moment, we're going to sing together that beautiful song, O love that wilt not let me go. And the third verse goes like this. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. I invite you now into a moment or two of silence, a few moments to reflect, to bring whatever pain you may be feeling at the moment and lay it at the feet of Jesus, because he is the one who is coming that John announced, and he is the one who takes up all our pain and fulfills that promise of joy.